This last year, we started doing a whole lot more of the order groceries online and then pick them up curbside. Anyone else like start doing that a lot this last year? One thing that we realized pretty early on is that just because you order it online doesn't mean that the store has it in stock. So we would order things, and you know, the first few times, I think everything went okay, but then there came a moment where they walked up to the car, and I didn't do this, this is my wife, but uh, they walked up to our car and they told her, we didn't have this in stock, so we replaced it with something different. And if you've ever done this, you, you know where this is going, but when, when they don't have something in stock that you ordered and paid for, they always replace it with something better. So instead of an eight pack of something, they give you the 16 pack. Instead of a 16 ounce thing of cheese, they give you the 32 ounce thing of cheese. And instead of the single ply toilet paper, they, I'm kidding, we don't order single ply. That's <laughs> not since college and I'm not going back there. What we quickly realized is that different is always better when you're ordering online and when they have to substitute for something that they don't have. And this is the simple co- concept that we're going to dig into for the next few weeks, not how to order groceries online, but, but a little bit different. You see, last week we saw how Easter changes everything. It changes you too. It's going to make you different in a lot of different ways. And it's not always easy to stand out, but sometimes different is better. And simply what we're going to look at the next several weeks is how when following Jesus makes you different, different is always better. Today, I, I, I've been looking forward to this, this topic today because the, the topic and the concept we're going to be working through is, is really a basic idea, but the application runs so deep, so deep. And what we're going to see today is we're simply going to focus on, on one word, guilt. And, and as we focus on the word guilt, we're going to see that there's really a lot of different ways to address it, but there's only one good way to deal with it. The two words we're actually going to focus on are guilt and then this, this maybe you'd think is a synonym, shame. And as I did some reading this week and probably some overthinking this week on these two terms, there's actually a, a slight difference between the two that we're going we're gonna, to um, focus on today. The whole concept with guilt, I'll illustrate it for you quickly. The whole concept of guilt is that we have this bad feeling that obviously we want to address, we want to get rid of it. And I'll, I'll illustrate it this way. Guilt is like you have your beliefs on the one hand. In fact, let's just make this literal. Pretend this hand is your beliefs, right? And here are your beliefs. Let's just give an example. I believe that it is morally and ethically wrong to steal. So that's a belief that I hope you have. And then on the other hand is your behavior. And as long as your behavior matches up with your belief and you don't steal anything, you will not feel guilty. But what happens when you see the locker next to you is open and there's a delicious peanut butter cup sitting in there and you take it? Your guilt tells you that you just diverted from your core belief and it starts to bother you. In fact, we can illustrate it further. Guilt is kind of like a rubber band that connects you to your beliefs. 
When you believe that something is wrong, but then you stray from it, your guilt will pull you back towards your beliefs. That's how it's designed to work. Guilt is not a bad thing in its basic sense. It actually serves a good purpose. It keeps you connected with what you believe to be true. Guilt tells you that something is wrong, that something needs to be addressed. Shame is a little bit different. Shame starts with guilt. You did something and you feel bad about it. But shame is when you do not address the tension. Instead of changing your behavior, you continue to open up locker after locker after locker. You look for opportunities to get more peanut butter cups, whatever it is. You go against your core beliefs and you continue to stretch your conscience more and more and more. And then one day, something unexpected happens. As you continue to stretch your behavior from your beliefs more and more, eventually what happens is you come to the starting realization, I don't know what I believe anymore. I can't believe that I've become this kind of person. No longer is it a tension between what you believe and what you do. Now it has become who you are. So I'll phrase it this way. Guilt is when you say, I don't want people to see what I did. I hope no one saw me sneak into that locker and take out what didn't belong to me. I feel kind of bad. I'm never going to do that again. Guilt is, I hope people don't see what I did. Shame is when you don't address that guilt after a while and it becomes something deeper. Shame says, I don't want people to see who I am. I hope they never find out what I've become. Guilt is about an event. Shame is about an identity. And for these reasons, it is absolutely essential that in your life you find a way to respond to the guilt that you have because it is only a matter of time until what you believe is challenged by what you do. There will be guilt that you need to address. The question is how you respond to it and how you address it. What we see from the world around us is that there's a lot of options to address the guilt that we feel. But everything we see simply addresses the symptoms. There's a lot, we'll look at this in a moment, but basically every religion in the world offers its idea of how to deal with the guilt you feel so that it does not become shame that you live in. But every option, every remedy simply treats the symptoms. So here's our goal for today, and here's where I want to take this. The goal is to address the guilt, not just address the symptoms of guilt. The goal in guilt is not just to make yourself feel better. The goal is to address the actual guilt and get rid of it. And again, there's all sorts of opportunities out there or options that the world throws at us as far as how to address that bad feeling when we feel guilty. And if you boil it down, there's really two general categories that it all fits down into. Different ways to handle guilt, different ways to respond to guilt. It all boils down into two general areas. Uh, number one, the, the first idea is to try to make it right. So yeah, you did something wrong. You stole the peanut butter cup, but if you make it right, then it'll be all right. So give the person some money. Put, put a different piece of candy back in its place. Make it right somehow. There's only one problem with this, though. As much as we try to make right what we've done, although it may satisfy the other person, it does not address the core issue of our guilt. It still happened. You still diverted from your beliefs, and you still did something wrong. 
The Bible puts it this way in James chapter 2, verse 10. It says, if someone keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point, do you know what they're called? A lawbreaker. We might put it this way. If, if uh, someone is guilty of murdering a person, they could stand up before the judge and say, yes, I did take that person's life, but then I gave some money to 10 orphanages and I helped 10 old ladies across the street and I did all these good things. But the judge would say, no, you committed a murder. You are a murderer. Similarly, it only takes one sin to be called a sinner. No amount of making it right can make you right when it comes to the guilt that we carry. So, when you try to make it right, it might provide short-term relief from feeling bad, but it does not address the guilt itself. The second way to address guilt is to justify the wrong. And if we're honest, we're really good at this, aren't we? Basically, you say, yeah, what I did kind of deviated from my beliefs, but you know what? I can bring my beliefs closer to my behavior by justifying what I did. So yeah, I stole the peanut butter cup, but they've got 10 other peanut butter cups in there. I mean, did they really need all 10 of those? And I was really hungry, and I, was, I, I needed some energy. You can justify what you did in just about every case. In fact, ask the, the worst criminals out there why they did what they did, and they might say, you know what? The world owed me. And in their mind, they have justified what they did, and it makes sense to them so that there is no feeling of guilt, but no amount of justifying a wrong can make you stand just before any judge. Imagine trying to do this in a court of law. You come up to a judge, and you try to tell them, yes, I broke the law, but I made it right. Or, yes, I broke the law, but here's why you should give me special treatment. Any judge would throw that out as irrelevant. But what about your father, your judge in heaven? If you were to come up with the sins and acknowledge, yeah, I did those things, but I made it right, <laughs> but here's why I did it, you'll understand your father in heaven knows that's not the way to address guilt. And as we get into this topic today, here's how I want to set it. It's not like you have a father in heaven who is angry at you and wants to make you feel more guilty and more ashamed, but rather when your father in heaven sees you wallowing in guilt and shame, here's what he says. He says, I offer you a better solution to this. Or change that. I offer you the only solution that will truly give you peace in your life. And today might be a short message, guys, because we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. It's just three verses, verse one through three. And in these three verses, it gives extraordinary insight into how God views our guilt and shame and also what God did to provide a solution from it. And the solution is so different than anything else that you might see in this world. In fact, as some people see your solution for, for guilt, they might they might consider it a little hypocritical because, here's why, when it comes to having a heart of peace, the world says that you have to try to make it right, you have to try to justify what you did, you have to do something in order to have peace in your heart. But God's solution is to do nothing. 
It's a different pathway. And so if you have peace, though you have not done things, it might be viewed as hypocritical from others. You will be different if you follow Jesus and if you follow God in how you deal with your guilt. But with Jesus, different is always better. So we're going to look at Hebrews. We're going to uh, just take a look at a few verses here. And before I, I, we dive in, I just want to share with you that this letter in the first century was originally written to some Christians who were really battling some things. They were originally from the Jewish culture. They grew up, grew up with the synagogue and the temple, but now they heard about Jesus, and so they've, they've distanced themselves from their previous way of life. And now they're kind of wrestling with that. They're feeling this tension of being different. And maybe a good way to put it is they were uncomfortable being different. Their culture was calling them back, but they also knew, hey, this Jesus guy, he, he's the fulfillment of everything that our culture was focused on. And so they were going through this tension. And also what we know is that guilt was weighing very heavily on them. They felt guilty for abandoning their culture, but they also would feel guilty for abandoning Jesus. It was, they were trying to navigate this, this shame that they were feeling. And as we, as we jump in here to verse 1, what you need to know is that the writer to the Hebrews has just, in chapter 11, brought up a whole bunch of heroes of the faith. These Hebrew, these Christians that the letter was written to, they were feeling so alone. And so the writer said, hey, think about Abraham, think about Isaac, think about Jacob, think about David and Joseph and Rahab, all these heroes from the Old Testament who through their faith gave us an example. You are not alone. And here's how chapter 12 starts. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In this section, the writer is bringing up the racing analogy, uh, picturing a bunch of people in the race and, and how they would run it. And so the writer says, well, when you're in the race, just throw off everything that hinders you. You know, try, try to picture running a sprint with your winter coat on and your big windbreakers and everything is just bulky and you're kind of running down. The writer says, no, when you run a race, you, you throw off everything that hinders. So we should throw off our guilt and our shame because we all know that that hinders us in life. And you might say to the writer of the Hebrews, oh, thanks for that tip. I'll just throw off my guilt and shame. I hadn't thought of that before. Guilt and shame can be complicated because it's all rooted in sin, which so easily entangles us. But he's getting at something here. When it comes to God's view of how you run your life, some of us might have been raised to, to believe that God wants us to feel guilty. God isn't pleased with you unless you feel really bad for what you've done. Maybe you were raised to believe that the only way to truly be right with God is if you are in a continual, perpetual state of guiltiness, of shame for, for what you do day after day, continually feeling the guilt of your sins before God. Guilt serves a good purpose for a moment. We'll get to that in a bit. But guilt is not the life that God called you to live. 
What we see from Hebrews, what we see all across the New Testament, especially what we see from Jesus himself, is that God wants you to run free. He does not call you to live a life of guilt. He sent his son to rescue you from that. If you want proof, look at the, G- the people that Jesus came to. He came to prostitutes. And he didn't come up to them and say, you are scum. <laughs> he didn't condemn them. He, he loved them. He shared grace with them. He shared forgiveness with them. He came up to tax collectors like Zacchaeus, and he didn't go into them and and lay into them about greed and selfishness, but instead he came to people like Zacchaeus, and he said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to spend tonight at your house. Let's have dinner. Jesus did not come to lay the guilt and shame on people who knew they were already guilty and shameful. Jesus came to make people free, and that's what he wants for you. Whatever guilt you might be holding on to, whatever shame you might have identified yourself with, Jesus wants you to run free. And so the writer to the Hebrews continues this race analogy. He says, let's run with perseverance, the, the race marked out for us. And any runner knows that where you fix your eyes is so important. Often it's fix your eyes on the finish line. Where you look is where you go. You know, we could do a whole analogy on that. But rather than this, he could have said, fix your eyes on, on your behavior. And he could have said, fix your eyes on how to justify yourself. Don't fix your eyes on how to make things right. When it comes to running free, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then he uses some interesting words. Jesus is the, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. You don't see these words too often in reference to Jesus. Pioneer in racing terms is the person who leads out of the gate, the first one out, the only one out. And then the perfecter is crossing the finish line, the one who completed. In fact, the, this was originally written in Greek. That, that word perfecter is, comes from the same root word that Jesus used on the cross for it is finished. It is finished. Jesus is the pioneer, or in some translations, Jesus is the author He's the first, and Jesus is also the perfecter. He's the last. He's the alpha, he's the omega, the beginning, the end. When it comes to our faith, the focus is all on Jesus. And this is kind of unusual language, referring to Jesus as you know, the, the pioneer and perfecter. So in the next sentence, the writer expounds on that just a little bit. He says, for the joy set before him, the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross Scorning its shame. On the one hand, you can look at Roman crucifixion and recognize the shame that goes along with a crucifixion. The shame of being physically exposed to people. The verbal abuse. The mocking. The pain. For everyone to see. There, There was such shame for anyone who would die that way. But more than just that shame, the the shame that Jesus scorned was all of the unaddressed guilt that had been separating mankind from God since the beginning. All the guilt that had broken us away from God because not just was it our behavior that brought us out of line, but even our beliefs had become corrupted. Jesus 
absolutely scorned the shame of the cross. He hated it, yet he endured it because of you. And then, as the perfecter of our faith, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven as an image for us, a symbol for us of him completing his work. He sat down because there's no more work to be done. Your faith is complete. What people had been waiting for for thousands of years, people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these people in the first century had just seen for the first time. Jesus was the beginning and the end of everything that they needed. And one thing from this verse I want to bring out for you today, too, is that when, when it comes to feelings of guilt and shame, especially shame where we can't, we can't even understand who we are anymore, when it comes to shame, you can feel so alone not just from other people, but even isolated from yourself in a sense. Because when you, when you break through that guilt and you, you don't even know what you believe and why you're doing what you're doing, you can be isolated and lost from yourself even. Who am I? What have I done? Who have I become? It can be such a place of loneliness. What I want you to hear today is that Jesus experienced the shame that you experience. Arguably, he experienced it to an even greater degree as he suffered on that cross, not just for your guilt, but for the guilt of the world. He felt the shame of our guilt. He scorned it. He hated it. And therefore, he scorns the shame that we find ourselves into. If you find yourself in a a moment of shame, in a season of shame, that is something that Jesus scorns. He wants to take you out of that. He wants you to live free. And in this final verse, we're going to see a practical application of how. It starts off with one word, consider. Again, this was written in Greek originally, and the original Greek is more like a a thoroughly contemplate. When it comes to guilt and shame, we tend to dwell on the things that we've done. Do we think about, how could I do that? Or we can think about, who have I become? We tend to dwell on those things. But the invitation is this. Would you, would you dwell on something else? Would you consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners? Would you consider how he had to go through guilt and shame? That was not his own. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You, you know the feeling of that tension of guilt and how it makes you feel so horrible. It saps your energy from you. And you know the hopelessness of shame, hoping that no one sees who you've become. So throw it off. Throw off the guilt. Throw off the shame. Live free. Run freely. Consider what Jesus did for you. And here's where if, if this was a one-on-one you know, meeting for coffee type thing, some people this weekend might come up to me and say, you know what, Matt, that sounds like a great concept, but you don't know the guilt that I have in my past. You don't know the shame that I'm feeling right now. You don't know the hopelessness that I have. And I'd say, you're right. You haven't shared that with me yet. I'd love to hear it if you want. But what's more important is that you have a Savior. You have Jesus who experienced the shame that you're experiencing right now. And he wants to save you from that. He wants to pull you from that. In those moments of guilt, you might be wondering, why did I do that? In those moments of shame, you might be wondering, who have I become? I don't even know what to believe anymore. 
and your father in heaven would come to you and say, let me give you three things you can believe. If you find yourself trapped in guilt or shame or hopelessness, I wanna give you three things you can believe. When you're not sure what you believe, believe this. Number one, your guilt has already been punished. Sometimes we can be reluctant to address guilt from our past because we're afraid of the consequences of it. Would you keep in mind in that moment that 2,000 years ago, the guilt that you committed has already been punished? It was already nailed to a cross. It was already put to death. And as you go through moments of shame where you're just thinking to yourself, I just want to bury who, I, I, I hope no one sees who I've become. I just want to get rid of this. I don't want to address it. In those moments, would you believe the second thing, that your shame has already been buried? It was already placed into a tomb. It's already been covered up, and it, it stayed there. Who you are is now who you were. You are now justified by God himself. You are declared innocent. Your shame has been taken away because it's been buried and you've been given a new identity. And in, in those moments where all of this is just coming together and you just feel hopeless, what I want you to know is you can believe this. Your hope has already come alive. It has already risen when Jesus came out of that tomb because he lives you know for a fact your guilt has been punished and your shame has been buried and you now have a new life in Christ. You have a new identity as God's child and he gives you grace. He gives you love. And that takes us to the last big thing here to keep in mind. When, when it comes to the way we are taught by this world to address guilt and respond to it, so often it's the focus on fear. I have to make this right or else people will be upset. I have to justify what I did. Otherwise, I'll be the bad person here. It's always reactionary, uh, a response to guilt based off of fear. And your Father in heaven does not call you to live by fear. He does not rule over you by guilt. He does not conform your behavior by making you afraid of the consequences. But rather, what we find from heaven is grace. There are many solutions to guilt offered to us in this world, but grace is different. So different. Grace comes to us in our guilt, and it doesn't push us deeper into guilt. It doesn't force us to find a way out. Grace says, I will punish your guilt elsewhere. It comes to us in our shame, and instead of confirming our identity, yeah, you kind of messed up. Instead, Grace gives us a new identity. You're a child of God. Instead of coming to us in our hopelessness and saying, you have no hope. Instead, grace comes to us and says, you have a living hope in Jesus. The way that God teaches us to respond to guilt is so different than what we see in the world around us. But with God, different is always better. So here's one final thing I want you to think about for this week. For each of us, this might be a little bit different. And before I even put the question up here, if you're meeting with your growth group this week, don't feel like you have to be completely open and transparent with everyone in your group. In fact, when it comes to things like guilt and shame, maybe it's most appropriate just to talk to one person outside of a group. But it's, it's an important topic that I hope at least you think about for yourself this week. And the question is, what is a guilt that you have not thrown off yet?
And why have you been holding on to it? What is a shame that you're finding yourself in right now? And what would it take to make you free? Align your belief that your guilt has already been punished, that your shame has already been buried, and that your hope is alive. That way of responding to guilt is different, but with God, different is always better. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, life can be complicated, and there can be things that we feel guilty for that we shouldn't even feel guilty for. But even those things, you, you come to us with grace and you bring us freedom from it. Um, I, I pray that you help each of us this week to take a next step in this area. Maybe it's just changing our view of guilt and recognizing that guilt is not something that you hold over us, but rather you, you lead us by grace. For some, it's maybe just taking a step in addressing a guilt. For some of us, maybe it's taking that step out of the grave leaving the shame behind where Jesus died for it. Would you fill us with the peace that only you can give this week so that we can run our race with perseverance, throwing off the sin, the guilt, the, the shame that can so easily entangle us and keep us from the life that you want us to live. Ultimately, give us the peace of forgiveness that Jesus Christ himself gave for us through his ultimate sacrifice on the cross. He scorned its shame, yet he endured it because of his love for us. So bless us this week that we may live in the peace and freedom that he wants to give. In Jesus' name, amen.